This is your host, Victoria, and in today's episode, we are continuing this mini-series on the Big Five, and today we are doing a deep dive on the second personality trait we're going through in this series, which is neuroticism. As usual, I would love to know where it is you are, what you're up to, what everything around you looks like right now as you listen to this episode. If you like coming back week on week, let me know, send me a message. And if you want to take about two to three seconds of your time to hop onto Apple or Spotify and rate this podcast, that would make a massive difference. So two to three seconds of your time would have a much bigger impact than you could possibly imagine. Thank you all so much for your support and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Victoria Sardin Podcast, where you'll discover actionable tools, tips, and tricks, as well as inspiring conversations to support you to change your own reality. We all have immense personal power within us. We all have the ability to be the person we look up to the most and take charge of our lives and our future. Sometimes we just need a little insight, a little change of perspective, and a friendly nudge to take the step. Are you ready? everybody. I hope you're all doing well. Super excited to have you here on another Monday and I'm excited to discuss the personality trait neuroticism with you today. So last week we went on a deep dive on the personality trait extroversion. I hope that that was interesting. That was our first deep dive of the five personality traits and today we are going headfirst into neuroticism. So extroversion from last week is a trait that we tend to know quite well. It's something that you've probably heard about, thought about. You might have already tried to gauge where you are on that scale. Today, we're talking about neuroticism. It's something that we maybe talk about a little bit less. And the reason why I wanted to follow up extroversion with neuroticism is because it's a little bit somewhat of the opposite. So it's not opposite in the sense that we can't be high in both, right? That they're inversely correlated. So it's not the case, but they're opposite in the sense that extroversion tends to be the positive emotion dimension. So as I said previously, those who are extroverted are those who are cheerful and laughing a lot and smiling a lot. And neuroticism is actually our tendency to feel negative emotion. So neuroticism is as well on a scale, just like all the personality traits in the big five are. And so we can scale from high in neuroticism all the way to low in neuroticism. Neuroticism, similarly to all the personality traits, are also on a bell curve, meaning that the majority of us will find ourselves somewhere in the middle, but there are, of course, outliers that will lie on either extreme. So I'm going to give a bit of a description now of what it might look like to be high in neuroticism versus low in neuroticism to give you a little bit of an idea of what neuroticism really is and what it means. So if we are high in neuroticism, we tend to be more touchy. We tend to get angry easily. We tend to be afraid of a lot of things, to get easily discouraged. Our mood fluctuates a lot, and we'll probably react very highly to any kind of negative comment. So that's if we're high in neuroticism. If we're low in neuroticism, we don't get embarrassed easily. We very rarely feel depressed. We tend to keep our emotions very much in order, very much in control. So we tend to be very kind of calm, cool, and collected. 
we very rarely get irritated or angry or upset or even insulted. So that's a bit of the scale of high in neuroticism versus low in neuroticism. So to give you a bit of a deeper understanding, there are also six facets to neuroticism, so six sub-traits that are part of this personality trait. One of them is anxiety, the next one anger, the third depression, the fourth self-consciousness, the fifth moderation. So it means we have a difficulty resisting things. We tend to be very much driven by impulse. And the sixth is vulnerability, which really means that under stress and pressure, we don't respond very well. Or it might mean that for every unit of stress or change or uncertainty in our life, we feel a bigger reaction in negative emotion. We can also think of this on the scale of chaos to order. So I did an entire podcast episode on the order chaos balance right at the beginning of this podcast. So quite a while ago now, but still relevant. I'll link that in the show notes below. And we could almost see it that every unit of chaos, what is the unit of stress that you feel? Or what's the unit of negative emotion that you feel? So if your life increases by, let's say, one unit of chaos, are you feeling one unit of negative emotion or are you feeling 10 units of negative emotion? So that's another facet of neuroticism. So that's to give us a bit of an idea, a bit of a gauge of what neuroticism is. Neuroticism, interestingly enough, is a trait where there is a slight difference between men and women. So women tend to be higher in neuroticism which if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective is quite interesting because being higher in neuroticism means we're more aware of potential danger. And so if you think about a woman needing to take care of a very young infant, needing to feed them and ensure their survival, they're probably better off being very attuned to anything that might go wrong. So this is something that I wanted to share with you is a little bit about the positives and negatives of neuroticism, because the word neuroticism in itself kind of suggests that it would be something negative. It doesn't really sound like we want to be living more negative emotion. However, there's a reason why this is something that has evolved within us and why there are certain of us who are much higher in neuroticism and why to some extent they might have an evolutionary advantage as well. So what's interesting is that anxiety and worry come in order to make us avoid pain. So we'll be anxious about something in order to avoid a potential pain of what it goes wrong. So it's not always incredibly productive, but it can be. It can be in the sense that if we're feeling incredibly worried about a big presentation that we need to make, which will, let's say, make or break our career, and that worry drives us to prepare really well and to think of every scenario and to prepare questions ahead of time and to practice the way in which we're talking and presenting and all these things, then that probably has a positive impact as compared to not being worried at all, making us more likely to perhaps quote unquote wing it. And then what would the impact of that be? In a way as well, if we think about it in the relatively unproductive side of let's say we're mentally looping, so we're living a worst case scenario over and over and over again in our head, it might not seem like it's constructive, but it's our brain's way of trying to live a potential threat in advance in order to prepare ourselves for it as well. So that's what I find is really interesting, is that 
there can be some benefits to being higher in neuroticism as well. So there's actually a study done where they split up personality trait neuroticism into kind of three groups. So the first group was those who tended to be higher in anxiety and tension. The second group is those who are higher in worry. And the third group is those who are higher in vulnerability, meaning that one increased element of chaos in their life would increase their negative emotion by a substantial amount. And what was interesting is that those in the first group, so who were higher in anxiety and tension, they ended up having worse physical and mental health. However, those in the second two groups, so those who are higher in worry and higher in vulnerability, ended up having better mental and physical health. And this is also something that I read about when it comes to neuroticism, that those who tend to be high in neuroticism and high in conscientiousness, we haven't spoken about conscientiousness yet, but it is another personality trait in the big five, and those who are higher in conscientiousness and neuroticism tend to be in better health because they are more aware of what might go wrong. They take little signs and symptoms seriously, and they're actually going to go do something about it. So being attuned to what might go wrong can actually be beneficial. I will give a caveat, however, and say that the danger comes when the anxiety that we feel before a potential negative event isn't, first of all, beneficial, but also isn't representative of the amount of anxiety and fear and worry and stress that we actually feel during the negative event. So this is something that a client of mine told me, and she actually rated relatively low in neuroticism, but very high in the facet of anxiety. So she rated high in the facet of anxiety, and then all the other traits were rated relatively low. So her neuroticism score overall was relatively low, but anxiety was very high. And she actually told me that she finds that the anxiety is much worse leading up to a potential threat or potential problem or negative situation. But the second that a situation actually happens and occurs and is there right in front of her, then she actually reacts really well. Those are the times in which she's actually her best self and she's able to stay calm and know exactly what to do and handle a situation really well. And that might actually be because she's low in vulnerability, for example or she's low in a moderation. So she's likely to actually be able to contain any of those emotions and be able to handle them. However, her feelings of anxiety before something actually occurs are very high. So that's something else to note just in general is that that's quite common. A lot of the time when we're in an actual situation of threat, we have a tendency to react to the best of our ability to handle this situation ahead and to really do the best we can with it. And this is something that Eckhart Tolle actually talks about in his book, The Power of Now. And he says that when you're in a given situation, you will handle it to the best of your ability with everything considered. And that's why worrying about something a million times before it happens isn't actually a very good strategy. And so that's why he talks about the importance of living in the now, living in the present, and how none of our problems actually exist in the present, they only exist when we are mentally in the future. Anyways, if you haven't yet read the book, The Power of Now, I really recommend it because there's lots of nuggets in there that are really interesting, but that's just really what I wanted to touch on in terms of the positives and negatives of neuroticism. One more thing that I wanted to mention about neuroticism is that neuroticism actually tends to decrease with time. 
so it tends to decrease with age and then there's a slight increase again around 80 years old. So that's just something to note. The decrease statistically is actually very slight. So on average, the decrease is very small. It might not be something we feel, but for some of us, it might be something that's actually quite substantial and that we actually do really notice is that maybe in our mid-20s or early 20s, we feel a lot more worried and anxious than we do later in life when we feel more confident, when we feel more at peace, when we've lived more years and more events and more experiences. And we find that actually things always tend to work out. That's why we speak about wisdom with age. Right? And we often imagine people who are older as a bit more calm and gathered and less likely to worry and stress about small things. And that makes a lot of sense then with this statistic. Now, what I wanted to speak about is how we can actually use this information, this knowledge about neuroticism. So first of all, I encourage you to gauge where you would place yourself on a scale. Are you the kind of person that gets very insulted easily, that feels very touchy, that holds on to negative comments a lot, that is easily discouraged, that has a very fluctuating mood? Or would you consider yourself someone who generally is pretty happy, doesn't feel depressed very much, is pretty much in control a lot of the time, rarely gets irritated, and rarely feels these huge highs and lows in emotional state? So gauge where you are. and. What I think is really important to note about neuroticism is that when we know where we are, we can start to be a little bit of the observer of our thoughts, of our lived emotions, of our lived experience, and we can start to question it a little bit. So let's say you have concluded that you're very high in neuroticism and you get angry very easily, then maybe we can start to practice the idea that if I feel angry every time someone makes some kind of a comment, maybe it means that it's just my neuroticism speaking, that it's not actually a comment that I need to feel angry about. So we can imagine an alarm. If there's a fire alarm and it only ever rings when there's a fire, then we need to take it seriously. But if there's a fire alarm that rings between six and 12 times every day, after a few days, we're probably not really gonna take it as seriously anymore. We're going to be able to brush it off and say, oh, the fire alarm always rings. So that's kind of what we can do with ourselves. When we find ourselves feeling very angry or perhaps very anxious about something, then we can start to think maybe it's not the situation and maybe it's my neuroticism talking. Maybe it's my brain reverting back to its primitive features where it's saying, well, let's think about the worst case scenario that way you might be prepared or that way you might do something about it. And you might be able to really ask yourself the question, okay, is there something concretely that I need to do here in order to ensure the best outcome of the situation? Maybe there is, but maybe there's not. And maybe it's actually more about telling yourself, okay, I'm feeling anxious because I have a tendency to feel anxious. So it's probably not the situation at hand. It's probably not that I actually need to feel anxious about this, but I can almost allow myself the grace of saying, okay, you can feel anxious, but it doesn't mean that there's something you really need to be worried about ahead of you. Similarly, on the opposite side of the scale, if we really consider ourselves to be very low in neuroticism, and all of a sudden we start to feel quite angry about something, or we're feeling quite depressed in a certain situation, or let's say we're feeling really anxious about the situation ahead, 
then that's probably a sign that we maybe need to take it a little bit more seriously. And so we might be able to say, okay, I'm generally low in neuroticism, but for some reason, I'm really, really anxious. Okay, there's probably something that needs to be addressed. Similarly to the way in which it can be helpful to gauge for ourselves where we would place ourselves, it can also really help us to understand others. So maybe we have a close friend or a close family member who we know would probably score relatively high in neuroticism, then we might take it with a pinch of salt when they get really angry with us about something. Because we might be able to come to the conclusion, okay, they're just that kind of person, they're a bit fiery, they tend to get angry about a lot of things, and maybe I won't take it as personally. Or maybe a family member who tends to get very anxious about everything, when they come to us with something that they're anxious about, we can of course still help and support them, but we maybe don't need to lose sleep over it. We maybe don't need to worry that this is really something that needs our attention immediately. We can understand that they have a higher tendency to feel anxious about things that maybe the average person wouldn't feel anxious about. Another thought when it comes to neuroticism is really wondering how we can create a change. So we might actually find ourselves very high on the scale of neuroticism and we want to decrease it a little bit because although it can be helpful from a survival standpoint, it's not very pleasant to live with a feeling of perpetual threat or a high tendency to feel negative emotion in most circumstances. So a few ways in which we can actually practice decreasing that neuroticism a little bit. The first one is to face fears voluntarily. So this is something that's used extensively in psychology when it comes to anxiety. When we are able to actually face what it is that we are anxious about voluntarily. So purposely expose ourselves to what makes us the most anxious, then that is the best way to actually decrease our feelings of anxiety towards it. So to really face it head first. And what's really interesting, and I read this in a study a while back, I don't remember which one it was, but it was saying how there's a physiological and psychological difference when we face something head-on voluntarily versus when we are put subject towards something. So when we are subject towards an anxiety-provoking situation versus about when we voluntarily expose ourselves to an anxiety-provoking situation, we will physiologically and psychologically feel a huge difference there. And that's how we can really train our brain to think, okay, you've decided to face this situation. You've decided to put your hand up and put yourself forth for public speaking, for example. Or you've decided to actually engage in potentially a conflict in order to resolve something. You've decided to bring up a conversation that makes you really nervous or anxious. And if you've decided to do it, well, there must be a reason you've done that. Maybe it doesn't actually make you all that anxious in the end. Making a plan is another way that we can really improve our feelings of neuroticism. So a client of mine who rates higher in neuroticism was actually coming to me mainly because of imposter syndrome. So she was feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. And we ended up making a full diagram, kind of like a decision tree, based on feelings of imposter syndrome. So if we imagine it like a decision tree, at the top would be a feeling of imposter syndrome. And what we did is we actually built in criteria, thoughts, questions, reflections in order to be able to gauge, okay, is this imposter syndrome valid? Yes or no? 
Here are the criteria that would make it valid. Here are the criteria that it would not. If it is valid, I have these three options. Which one do I take? If it's not valid, here are how I'm going to allow my brain to accept the fact that I'm actually not an imposter in this situation. And so having something really concrete, like a very logic-based decision tree when it came to a negative emotion was incredibly helpful for her. So it really gave her this feeling of comfort. It gave her this feeling of agency. It allowed her to step out of her emotional mind and into her logical mind when she was faced with a negative emotion and really actually be able to take concrete steps forth and know exactly what to do. So that can be something. We might be able to make ourselves a plan of what do I do when I feel this way? But also just making a plan in our life, having a feeling like we know where we're going, having a feeling like we know what we're working towards. Those are things that can really help negative emotion. And thirdly, Implementing routine can be incredibly helpful for those who are very high in neuroticism. So actually having a sense of that comfort, of that structure, of building on something can be incredibly beneficial. So I encourage you to have a think. Where would you place yourself on the scale of neuroticism? And what tools can you put in place? Can you practice this idea of the false alarm? Can you implement maybe some of the strategies that I mentioned when it comes to decreasing that neuroticism a little bit? And finally, I really encourage you to reflect on who are people around you that maybe are higher or lower in neuroticism and how does that help you really understand them? I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback, so please don't hesitate to send me a message to let me know. I love hearing from you guys. This is also something that I do one-on-one with my private coaching clients. We do an entire personality analysis together. We understand not only the trait at hand, but all the facets that are part of it. We understand how those facets might impact their life, how it might impact their decisions, how it might impact the route that they wanna take, and what are specific strategies that they can take in order to allow whatever this trait is to have the most positive impact on their life possible. The link for more details on my one-on-one coaching are going to be in the show notes below. I'm taking only two more clients this month, so feel free to reach out if you want to have a chat. And in the meantime, guys, I will see you next week. We're going to be talking about agreeableness, and have a lovely day. 